right. Well, good morning, Community Alliance Church. Thank you. Hey, I'm really glad to see you guys here today. We're glad to be together. My name is Pastor Joe. I'm one of the pastors here at Community Alliance Church. I want to welcome you back as we continue on in our series, Selfless Living in a Selfie World. So this is kind of the time of year when folks are traveling a lot in the summertime, so there's a good chance that maybe you have been away over the past few weeks. I just want to encourage you, if you have missed any of the messages in this series, you can find them on Facebook, on the church's Facebook page. Uh, the videos are there, or if you want to listen to them in the car, you can get them on our webpage, or like they're on the podcast app on your Apple device. So don't miss out. There have been some great messages. Um, I hope they've encouraged you. And in case you have been away, let me just get us off the speed and on the same page of what we've been talking about here. So in case you haven't noticed, selfies are kind of a big thing in our world today. And maybe you have noticed, and they just annoy you to death, like all these people taking these selfies. Or maybe you're one of those people that is annoying everyone else, but you don't care because you love them so, so much. All we're doing in this series is we're not trying to make you feel good about taking selfies. We're not trying to, like, make you feel bad about taking selfies. All we're saying is, hey, this is, this is kind of like, when you look at all these selfies, isn't this kind of like how some of us live our lives, Right? A selfie is a picture that you take of yourself by yourself. And when you look at your own life, maybe there are some times when you're like, I kind of just focus on myself in my life. Like, I go through my life as though, like, I'm the only person that matters. I'm the only person on the screen. I'm the only person that I see. I block out everything else, and I'm only looking at me. And so in this series, we've been talking about how God calls us to live differently in a variety of areas of our lives. And this morning we're going to talk about another area where God calls us to live a little bit more selflessly in a selfie world. And we're talking about how we see ourselves. And so the message title this morning is self-image. And so to kind of get us started and where we're going to go this morning, I want to ask you a question. Has anyone here ever seen a bad picture of themselves? Have you ever seen a bad picture of yourself? All right. So I got a quick story for you. Um, a few years ago, I was blessed with the opportunity to go with, um, with one of our missions teams down to the Dominican Republic, and so we go down to the DR for 10 days, and we're coming back from there, and, and we land in uh, New York City at JFK Airport, and we're going through the customs process. I am not a huge international traveler, but I've done enough international traveling to know, like, this is the point in the process where everyone just gets really cranky. There are long lines, people are standing, you've been traveling all day, you're getting tired. And so when you hit the customs process, you just want to get through and get it over with. So we're doing that, and we come to the passport scanning machine. It used to be that when you would go through customs, you would give your passport to a person, and they would look at your picture and do something, and then you'd be on your way. But now they've made it even easier, and they put a machine there that does it for you, right? So it's my turn, and I go up to the machine, and I've got to get my passport scanned while getting my picture taken. It's not hard at all, right? So I walk up. I've got this. Read the instructions. Boom. Put down my passport. Look at what I thought was the camera, and nothing happens. And so I'm like, okay, well, let's just do this again. Everyone else seems to be able to figure this out. Put down my passport, look at the camera, nothing happens. Try it a third time, nothing happens. Okay, at this point, I'm like looking back, and my wife happened to be on the trip with us. And so, like, I'm a guy, so it's really, really helpful to me always whenever I can't figure something out, and my wife is glad enough to tell, or nice enough to tell me exactly what I'm doing wrong. So she's trying to tell me what to do. I have all these people in this line behind me looking at me like thousands of people go through this machine every day, 
and you are the only dummy who can't figure this out. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm getting nervous. I'm sweating. You ever had that feeling where you like start to sweat? And I'm praying a lot. Um, and then I, I'm like, okay, I've, got, I've just got to get this. So I'm really focusing. I put the passport down, and I'm like looking at this thing. I'm like, is this really the camera? And well, let me just, I'll show you what happened. You know what? Your laughter doesn't make me feel better. I was really hoping that no one would laugh. Like, that's really not that bad of a picture. It is, though. It's, okay, you can take that down now. That's the worst surviving picture of me. And the only reason that it's surviving is because my sister-in-law was also on the trip with us. And she saw a golden opportunity and ripped it out of my hand and took a picture with her cell phone. She took a selfie of my, is that even a thing? In any case, she takes this picture so that we can save it and laugh about it forever. Um, seeing that picture again, it, I, there's no way I'm not on some kind of potential threat list with U.S. Customs. <laughs> I look like a psycho. Any case, we've all been there, right? We've all had that time where you've seen a picture of yourself and you, you either thought it or you asked somebody, it's like, is that really what I look like? Or maybe a friend posts a picture of you up on Facebook or on Instagram and you're thinking, why would you post that terrible picture of me? And the reason this morning that we're talking about terrible pictures and that I showed you a terrible picture of myself is because, you know what, I, I, I think that there are some folks here today that probably have a bad picture of themselves. And, and maybe you're here today and you have a bad picture of yourself. I'm not talking about like a bad selfie in your phone or, or, or a bad picture like the one that my sister-in-law was kind enough to save. I, I'm talking of, about a, like a false or a distorted picture of who you are as a person, a bad self-image. You know, when you think about this question, what do I see when I look at me? When you think about that question, what pops into your head? For some folks here today, when you think about the question, what do I see when I look at me? There's some negative thoughts that pop into your head. Things like dumb, worthless, failure, reject, ugly, so on and so forth. You, you see yourself in, in kind of a negative way. Maybe there's some other folks here this morning that when you think about the question, what do I see when I look at me? It's more positive. It's actually way too positive. When you think about yourself, like you have a very prideful view of yourself. You don't just like what you see, you admire what you see. You're impressed with yourself. You think it's better than everybody else. Now, r realistically, I, I think most people don't kind of entirely live in the negative self-image camp or in the positive self-image camp. I think most people kind of commute between the two. But, but whichever side you would say that you kind of spend the most of your time in, th this message today is important for you. So, so I really hope it will, it will challenge you and, and it will help you because, because what, I, what I think we need to do is we need to move away from, from this view of, okay, moving from a positive to a more negative self-image or from a negative self-image to a more positive self-image. We need to get a, beyond a positive view or a negative view ourselves to a true view of ourselves. So today we're not talking about positive or negative. We're talking about true. What's the true view of you? And, and to figure out the answer to this question, we've got to ask the right question of the right person. See, see I think it's the wrong question to say, what do I see when I look at me? But the better question is, what does God see when he looks at me? 
And today we're going to look at the Bible, God's message to us, and we're going to look at some excerpts from his message to us about what God sees when he looks at you and me. And, and here's my goal. I'm hoping that we're not just going to look at some Bible verses that kind of put some, some true concepts in your head. Like that would be good. But more than that, I hope that, that one of these concepts will just take root in your heart. Because whenever we believe and understand truthfully what God sees in us, then our lives change. If we're going to be what God wants us to be, and if we're going to do what he wants us to do, then we've got to really understand and embrace what he sees when he sees us. So what does God see when he looks at me? Now, now here, here's, before we dive in, you might be asking yourself this question, why is God's view of me more true than my view of myself? Like, why does his view get to be right? I am me. I know me. And if you're asking that question, that's a great question. It's a critical question. And it's actually the answer to that question is the first thing that God sees when he sees you. Please turn your Bibles to Psalms chapter 139. Look at the first thing that God sees when he sees you. Psalms 139. If you have your Bibles, feel free to make your way there. If you don't have a Bible, there's some Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. Or you can um, just pull out in the bulletin you got, there's a little handout, half sheet of paper. I think it's yellow today. It has the verses on it. Psalm 139, the Bible tells us this. In verse 13, the writer is talking. It's like this conversation between him and God. And he's saying, for you, you is God. You, God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. See, see, when God looks at you, when he looks at me, first thing he sees is he sees his creation. When God looks at me, he sees his creation. And because you and I are his creation, his view of us is more true than what others see us to be or even what we see ourselves to be because he designed and made us. And have you ever really thought about what does it mean? What does it mean that God is involved in creating us in this intimate kind of way that Psalms 139 talks about? Have you really thought what does that mean for your life? Maybe you're like some and your view of God as the creator is more of like this disconnected overseer of the creation system. Maybe you've kind of said, okay, yeah, like I see God as a creator, but really what that means is that, well, God kind of just made the system up and stepped back and let it run itself. Like he designed you know, kind of like male and female biology and he made this like attraction between the two, but then he steps back and says, okay, you guys have got it from here and, and just let the results uh, work themselves out. Maybe in your view of creation, you've kind of seen God like, like this guy here on the screen. This, this guy on the screen, his name is Kurt. Van de Put, and he is the CEO of Mondelez International. That, that may not mean much to you. Maybe this next picture will help. Mondelez International is the company that owns a bunch of companies that make snacks like Chips Ahoy and, and, and Oreos. So under this man's leadership, millions and probably billions of cookies are made and packaged and distributed and consumed throughout the world every single year. He looks like a pretty nice guy. I'm sure he's a decent leader. And, and, and I guess in a remote kind of way, you could say that he is a cookie maker. 
but there's very little chance that he has ever once with his own hands created a cookie that anyone in this room or anyone in the world has ever pulled out of an Oreo bag and eaten themselves. He's a disconnected overseer. He runs the company that runs the company that makes the cookies. This next lady on the screen is Becky Guthrie. Becky Guthrie is awesome. And she's awesome because she brought me chocolate chip cookies last week. So I've given her her own title. It's A-C-C-C-M, or A-Triple-C-M. And that stands for Amazing Chocolate Chip Cookie Maker, because they're phenomenal. And she told me if I just keep telling her how phenomenal they are, she'll keep making them for me. So, <laughs> like, But she is not a disconnected overseer. She makes with her own hands every single cookie that she bakes. Every cookie on that plate she touched and formed with her own hands. And Psalm 139 is telling us that God is not a Kurt Vandenput. Kurt's probably a great guy. But God's not like that. He's not disconnected from creating us. He's like Becky. His hands were on you and he created you. And so, because he created us so intimately and intricately, his view of who you and I are is more true than even how we view ourselves. Look at verse 13 again in Psalm 139. It says, for you created my inmost being. Do you ever think about that? Like, we think about God creating us physically, but this passage here says not only did he create us physically, he created us inwardly. He created our inmost being. This is the part of you that it's really who you are. How many people in the world would you even say really do know who you are? Do you even feel like you always know who you are? But Psalms 139, 13 is saying, even if you don't really know who you are, God does, because he made you. On top of that, I think Psalms 139 is telling us this, because God is an intimate creator, you are not a mistake. You are not an accident. You might have been a surprise to your parents, but you were not a surprise to God. The writer keeps on going in verse 14, says, I praise you, God, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. Are there parts of how God has made you that you find it difficult to praise him for? Or maybe there's some ways that God has made you that you think, wow, if I was doing it, I would have done it differently. I, I think this verse doesn't explain why God might have made you in ways that make your life more challenging than others, or he has made you in ways that you can't experience certain things that other people can experience. Like, I don't think it explains that. But I do think this is a verse of assurance that however God has made you, it was how he intended you to be, and it was good. It, it, it wasn't an accident. It wasn't like he turned his back and you just kind of flipped off the conveyor belt and he just missed that one. God has created you how he intended you to be. And the Bible says that it is wonderful. And it was a job well done. But we're not just his creation. We're a special kind of creation. And, and, and the second thing that that God sees when he sees you and he sees me, is he sees his child. He sees his child. When God sees me and he sees you, he sees his child. I want to look at Galatians chapter 3. 
Galatians chapter 3, we're going to look at uh, verse 28. As you make your way there, I'll start reading. You can follow on the screen as well. The Bible says this, so in Christ Jesus, you were all children of God through faith. For you have all been baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for all are one in Christ. The, the Bible here, we can see, was a world of labels. The Bible is telling us that, look, when people look around at other people, they see categories and descriptions and labels. The, Bible had world, the Bible's world had labels like Jew, Gentile, male, female, slave, or free. He's saying that, look, this is the label that is placed on you when other people look at you. Our world today isn't that different than the Bible, is it? We look around and we see labels as well. Republican or Democrat. Single, married, divorced, blue collar, white collar, lower class, middle class, upper class. Liberal, conservative, and so on and so on and so on. We still live in a world of labels. And labels, if we allow them, can define who we are. We think that that label says, this is what I am. Labels can certainly be helpful. I know when I walk into the clothing store, I'd prefer to go to the men's section than the women's section. So I get it. Labels are needed. But labels also can be very limiting and downright hurtful. And Galatians 3 is saying this. You know, we live in a world where many labels, many labels might be able to describe where you've been and what you've done. But one label can define who you are. Many labels may be able to describe how others see you, but only one label can define how God sees you. And that label is his child. When God looks at you, he sees one label and one label only, and that's his child. And so if God sees us as his child, that makes him the father. And just as we sung earlier, he's a good father, and he sees us through the eyes of a good father. I can only relate to this through the eyes of an imperfect father looking at my own children. But I, I do know this. I have two kids. Sometimes they are very pleasant, and they listen really well, and their behavior is good. Sometimes they do not listen. And they are not pleasant. And their behavior is not good. But regardless of how they're doing that day, it doesn't change who they are to me. They're still my children. And regardless of how they're doing that day, it doesn't change the fact that I want, them, I want to be their father. And I see them as my child. It doesn't change that. If my weed whacker is acting up, sure, I might want to go and get a new one and trade it in. If my kids are acting up, I don't want to get new ones most days, <laughs> ever. And that's how God sees us. We, we can't change what we are to him. In, in fact, like, I think about it this way sometimes, and, and I do this with my kids whenever I go in to kiss them goodnight uh, before they go to sleep, because I'm hoping through what I say to them, maybe they'll get a picture of what God sees in them. And I say this to them almost every night. I, I go in and I say, you know what? There's nothing you can do to ever make me love you more. And there's nothing you can do to ever make me love you less. I love you no matter what. Because you're my child. 
And God can say the same thing to us. There's nothing we can do to make him love us more. There's nothing we can do to make him love us less. He loves us no matter what, because we are his child. But God's not a blind father. Just like my dad probably looked at me and saw my many weaknesses, and I look at my own children, and I, I see the challenges that they have to outgrow in their behavior, God looks at us not as a blind father. He doesn't pretend you're perfect. In fact, he knows how far from perfect you are. Because the third thing that God sees when he looks at you and me is he sees our heart. When God looks at me, he sees my heart. Proverbs 21.2 tells us this. Proverbs 21.2 says, A person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs the heart. God looks at the heart. In our selfie culture, we're kind of told that what we appear to be on the outside is more important than what we are on the inside. Have you ever pushed up against that or felt that way? Or felt like you've gotten that message? There was a book that came out earlier this year written by a gentleman named Will Storr. He's a, journal and a journalist and an author. And he wrote this book called Selfie, How We Became So Self-Obsessed and What It's Doing to Us. It was a fascinating book, and he did all these interviews. One of the interviews that I want to share with you today was with this young lady named CJ. She was in her early 20s, and by her own admission, she's obsessed with selfies. In fact, throughout the course of the interview, you kind of learn a little bit more about her, and she reveals that she stays up till 4 a.m. almost every night editing selfies uh, just to try to get herself looking just right. And she has to buy these big hard drives to store all of the selfies. And then this one really got me. She actually admitted to taking a selfie at a funeral for her godmother because it was just a look that she doesn't pull off very often, so she had to have a selfie of it. Like this, this was kind of like she laid all this out. But the most fascinating thing about the interview was when she began to describe her morning routine and how she goes about getting herself ready for the day. And she said, or the book says this, and follow along with me. You can just see it on the screen. Uh, the author wrote, she wakes up every morning at 7.30 thinking about what she's going to do with her hair and with her makeup. That's not that abnormal, right? A lot of people do that. But then, she's, but then he said to her, but you're thinking specifically about how it'll look in pictures. Yeah, she replied, I don't really care how it looks in real life. When I'm doing my makeup, I won't look in the mirror. I'll hold up my phone. And I thought it was fascinating that this young lady, when she gets ready in the morning, Instead of looking at the mirror to kind of see what she looks like in person, she's holding up the phone. She's looking at how she will be seen in the images that she posts up to social media throughout the day, because to her, that's what matters. And you're probably hearing that and thinking, okay, like, that's crazy. Maybe you're thinking, that's a great idea. Or maybe you're just going to, like, roll your eyes. But before you do that, before you roll your eyes at her, I, I, like, I challenge you, do, do this. Ask yourself, like, how do you do the same thing in some other area of your life? You might not be in the, in the bathroom in the morning with your phone getting ready. But, but how, do you, how do you live your life in other areas where, where it's all about what people are going to see? It's not about what you are inside, but it's, it's about the image on the screen. Do you live your life in any way where it's, it's just about the image? How, how consistent is the person you are on the outside with the person that you are on the inside? Like, would your coworkers or your family or your friends or your neighbors be really surprised if they knew what was going on inside of you versus what they see on the outside? 
I don't know about you, but I can become kind of focused on the person on the screen. And I don't know about you, but like, I can speak for myself whenever I say, when the Bible says things about God weighing the heart, that's not exactly a verse of comfort to me. It's a little bit scary to think, wow, God's looking past the surface to see the inside. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, puts it this way. The Bible says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. It's saying, we're kind of wired in our heart to try to look one way on the outside and be a little bit different on the inside because we're more concerned about what people think than what we really are. But I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. God searches the heart and examines the mind. So you might fool people, but you won't fool God. You might impress other people, but you're not going to impress God. People might think you're great. You might think you're great, but God looks at the heart. God searches the heart and examines the mind. That means this. God knows your thoughts and your feelings. God knows your thoughts and your feelings. God knows the hate or the bitterness that you might harbor towards an individual or maybe a group of people. He, he, he knows the sexual thoughts that you might have toward that person that you're not married to. He knows the greed that you have and, and, and how you're so concerned about getting that next thing and how you worry so much about not losing what you've already gotten. He knows the jealousy you feel when other people get the accolades or the promotions that you think you deserve. He knows how selfish you can be. He knows the things about you that no one else in this world knows because God searches the heart. But, but here's the amazing thing. This is, this is how we know God truly, truly loves us. He knows the worst about us. We, we live in a world where we're kind of told, look, if people know the real you, they're not going to think as much of you. They're going to think less of you. They're going to value you less. So we have to be one way on the outside and kind of hide who we really are. But the Bible tells us that God knows who we really are. He knows how messed up and how weak we are. And despite that, he still loves us. And when he looks at us, he sees our value. He sees our value. That's the final thing. When God looks at you and he looks at me, he sees my value. He sees my value. Do you, do you, does anybody here remember when eBay first became popular? Unless you've been like taking a 20-year nap, you probably know that eBay is this online auction website. And I still remember when eBay became popular. It was amazing. Like people were able to find and buy things that they thought they would never be able to find. And people were able to sell things that they thought were completely worthless. eBay was awesome. But somewhere pretty quick along the way, a problem happened. Because of the online bidding system, sellers began to sell things for far less than what they thought they were worth because the winning, it went to the winning bidder. So something called the reserve price was created, and it was kind of applied to eBay. And the reserve price basically said that the seller could take an item that he or she was selling and, and place a reserve value on that item. And, and he or she wouldn't have to sell it unless the highest bid at least met that reserve price. The reserve price allowed the seller and not just the buyer to have a say in what something was worth. 
Or, or in other words, the seller was able to say, I don't care what you think this is worth. I am able to say what it is worth on my own. And our culture has kind of told us that we need to set sort of a reserve price on ourselves. In other words, we need to be able to say, look, I don't care what the world says I'm worth. I don't care what other people say I'm worth. I need to find my value on my own. If I'm going to be valuable, I need to feel valuable. I need to kind of go on this self-discovery journey to find my true inner worth and quit listening to what other people say about what I'm worth. And and honestly, I think our, our culture has been half right on that. Too many of us for too long have allowed how others feel about us to determine how we feel about ourselves. So if you're in a dating relationship and you feel like the other person really, really admires you and loves you back, then you feel good about yourself. But when they dump you, then you're like, oh my goodness, I, I, I'm worthless and you feel rejected. Or, or if you feel like you're, you're getting praise at work and your career's going well, you feel like you're, you're worth it. But whenever that's not going well, if you lose that, if you lose your job, then your value kind of goes away with it. So I think that message of you've got to find your value somewhere else than what the outside world is telling you is half right. But I think it's wrong to say that we're, it's up to us to find our own value. Because God is the one who tells us what our value is. This isn't a sermon today with the goal of having you walk out the door and feeling better about yourself. In fact, how you feel about yourself How valuable you feel that you are or not really doesn't impact your overall value because people don't tell us what we're worth and we don't get to tell us what we're worth. God hasn't just told us what we're worth, but God has actually shown us how valuable we are to him. Look real quick with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. God talks about in the Bible, how he has shown us how valuable we are. In fact, it says there, you are not your own. We belong to someone else. You were bought at a price. You were bought at a price. Do you know what that price is? If you want to know what something is worth, you look at what somebody has paid for it. And God's saying, look at the price that was paid for you. God's saying, I took the one who is the most valuable to me, the one who is the most valuable in the entire universe, and I put his life down as a payment for you. That's your value. That's your value. Saying Jesus Christ bought you at a price with his own life. That's what you are worth. In a world where you have many messages about what your value is and what my value is, and, and we try to find out what we figure out our own value is, God interrupted and cut in through that, and he laid down a payment that was so outrageous and so extravagant that any other claim about my value or your value pales in complete comparison to that. So if you want to know what your value is, don't look at what other people tell you. They could never describe you or value in a way that matches Jesus' payment for you on the cross. And don't try to just feel valuable yourself. No matter how valuable of feelings you can conjure up, you will never feel as valuable as what Jesus has shown. So let's kind of bring this all home. When God looks at you, when he looks at me, he sees his creation. He sees his child. He sees your heart. He sees your value. So here's the question for your life. 
How do we apply this? What would be different in your life if every day you asked yourself the question, what if I saw what God sees in me? What if I saw what God sees in me? Because maybe you carry around with you every single day thoughts or phrases that you tell yourself about yourself. Words you use to describe yourself. How consistent are your thoughts and your feelings about yourself with what God has said? And what would you have to change? Maybe for you, it's a matter of taking some of these things or some of these verses and writing them down in a place where you will see them. as the background on your phone, or on the mirror in your bathroom, on the steering wheel in your car. Somewhere where you're going to be reminded, no, no, I might think this, but this is what God says, and that's what's true. Maybe you've allowed people in your life to define who you are. You've had some people who've come along and either treated you in a way or told you things about yourself that cause you to feel this way, that, that, that you are they're different than what God says about you. Will you be courageous enough to begin looking at him and stop looking at others to tell you who you are, what he sees when he sees you? Maybe we laughed about it at the beginning, but maybe you're the person that you're like, yeah, I'm pretty, I like me. It's, I'm pretty, I'm great. Maybe, maybe for you, it's realizing that God does see your heart. And, and, and there's some things in there that he, he really needs to change, but you've got to humble yourself. You've got to get before him, and you've got to say, God, I need you to change my heart. Change me. Let me see who you are. Let me, let me praise you and admire you and not me. What would change in your life if you started asking yourself the question, what does God see when he sees me and began living by it? But, but I want to push it a little bit further because that question, okay, that's nice. We, nobody minds feeling a little bit better about themselves. God says some good things about us and he loves us very much. And when we apply that to our lives, that's helpful. But there's another question that is, that is a little bit more challenging. What if when you looked around at other people, you started asking about them this question. What if I saw what God sees in you? What if I saw what God sees in you? So when you look at that person in your life that annoys you and drives you crazy and irritates you and you try to hide from when they're coming, and you're like, God, why'd you put them on this planet? What if you begin to think, what if I saw in them what God sees in them? They're God's child. I'm no more valuable than they are. We're both immensely valuable. Jesus died for us both. What if you begin to see other people that way? Maybe, maybe there's some people in your life that are just very different than you. They dress different. They talk different. Their behavior's different. They believe differently. If you're here today and, and you're a Christian, it, it can get really challenging sometimes not to view others as beneath you because you live your life differently than they do. But what we as Christians need to understand is that we can't do anything to make God love us more just because we might try to live according to the Bible in the ways that some other people don't doesn't mean that God likes us better. He loves those around us equally. In fact, he has placed us in their world to show them his love through us. 
Because he wants us to see those who don't share the same faith as we do through his eyes. So would you be willing to be his light by seeing others the same way that God sees them so that maybe they would be able to see God the way that you see him? What if that became who we are as a church? What if everybody here at this church that calls Community Alliance Church your church home would say, I'm going to commit that when I'm here, I'm going to see other people through God's eyes. When I see someone who's hurting, who is down, who needs encouragement, I'm going to quit looking at just myself. I'm going to see them through God's eyes. I'm going to have the compassion for them. I'm going to have the care and the concern and the love. When I know that somebody is struggling, I'm going to do what I can to help them. Because I'm not just going to see me, I'm going to see you, how God sees you. What if that became a mark of our church? Wouldn't it be great to be known as the place in Butler, where when you walk through the door at that church, and I was struggling, I had so much baggage, I thought nobody would accept me. Then I walk in there, and I felt like Jesus himself was loving on me. Because how gracious and how kind and compassionate the people at that church were. What if that was who we are? So here's, here's my hope today as we wrap up. That one of these things that we talked about, creation, a child, your heart, your value, that one of those will kind of land home with you. And then when you leave today, you will begin to see yourself and to see others around you exactly how God sees you. Let me have a prayer for you, and I'll let you go. Father in heaven, we come before you. Thank you so much, God, for how you see us. God, I can never, I could not I can never live up to what you see in me, but you so graciously see it anyhow. And thank you so much for your grace and your mercy in our lives and your love. Pray for this congregation, God. I pray that you will use us to show others your love and, and, and your vision for their lives through who we are and how we treat people. Pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You all have a great week. We will see you back next Sunday. If you're an elder or a pastor here, we have someone who's asked for prayer afterwards. So please come up front. Otherwise, have a wonderful week.